Well, for one thing, uh, you haven't told me um, what the advice that's coming from uh, the center that she's going to and how that would be different than the advice that you and I would concoct here on okay. Skype. Well, one of one of the the things that is coming up, and I think I know the answer to, but I definitely want to confirm that with you, is this um, this situation we want to find ourselves in, where we're we're on top. Of our pile of dirt. I love that phrase. Whoever came, whoever came up with it, I need to shake their hand. Uh, it's, it's a really great analogy. Um, so being on top of our pile of dirt makes an awful lot of sense to me, rather than it being on top of us. However, a lot of the information that comes through to Olivia and people generally is that no you need to get rid of your pile of dirt you need to clear it away so it's no longer there and that's actually a slightly different thing it strikes me yes that's actually impossible here's right. an example of that of in this in a very real situation and that is is that you do not want to destroy your natural instincts but rather to ride herd on them and manage them, like being on top of your pile of dirt, but to destroy it completely is extraordinarily dangerous. That's interesting. We, in fact, need to have fear from time to time. Oh, yeah. That if it hadn't been for good old healthy fear that was an intellectual knowledge-based fear, the coronavirus would be much worse. That is only oh, yeah. the ignorant who can't see the danger. Yeah. Okay. So we have to be able to see danger, and that can be seen intellectually the way that we understand coronavirus. The only other one is to have somebody in our arms die or that we're yeah. prevented from going into the hospital mm. because they're sick. Okay, that's when it comes home. That's the problem uh, with most people is, is that things got to come really home. But if we destroyed that completely, things would never be able to come home. Mm. We would yeah. never be able to understand. We would be lost in a deep ignorance because we have no basis of reality if we, in fact, uh <laughs> If we lost our pile of dirt, what would be be we comfortably be sitting on? <laughs> I said, I said, sorry. Yeah, if all we've got is our pile of dirt, now we're going to get rid of that. What there's nothing left. Mm. So, I mean, I think, including <laughs> myself, there's a, there's a Buddhism deep in there someplace. We're going to have to discover, <laughs> but meanwhile. <laughs> It's not the pile of it's not getting rid of the pile of dirt that makes things empty. The pile of dirt itself is empty. Mm. For instance, it's empty of yeah. having any control over us. Right. 
Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Another way of saying it is really empty of meaning. It was full of meaning so long as I was my personality, but now that I'm no longer following my old habits and traits and am figuring my moments out one by one, now I don't I don't need it. It's got no meaning to me anymore. But we can't destroy it completely. Another way of looking at it is if you completely destroyed your past, how much of that past would you destroy your language? You want to stop speaking English? Uh, well, I, I, I suppose... <laughs> That's that not a bad I, idea sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just shut up, yeah. Um, I, su I suppose there's been some confusion there, uh, perhaps on my part, in that when I think of a pile of dirt, I think of something that's uh, contaminated. So... Um, um, you know, bad things that have happened in your past that you have have affected you, traumatized you, et cetera, et cetera. I suppose I was thinking of that as my exactly. dirt. Exactly. You cannot completely eradicate or erase or take that away. But you but, can keep it out of your mind. You can, in fact, leave that old stuff alone in yeah. the sense you're going to continue to sit on top of that pile of dirt. You're not going to go digging down into it to pick this stuff up by the throat and bring it back into the moment so that we can feel really bad. And, and this, this is what we're spending so much time talking about because it is so important and, 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 uh, and, and valuable being in the present moment. In other words, as soon as the, those thoughts are coming up from the past, and this is what happens with Olivia, is they start coming up from the past and then she basically becomes overwhelmed by them. And that they, 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 although intellectually she understands they're not real, I mean, what happened in the past was real, but that was in the past, but it's as if they are real right here, right now. Um, and it's very difficult to let let go of them to, to actually turn around and um they are actually glad. easy to let go of once we remember what what she has not yet developed is sati and basically yeah. that's to remember that she doesn't have to feel that way so that's something that you can help her with and you can help her with that in two ways but first, let's get the foundation of why we want to do the sati. In other words, if you can get her to wake up to what she's doing, then that will help eventually gain her the motivation to start to make some changes. I, I would just say at this moment that she does, because I, you know, I was speaking to her last night about it. She was in a bit of a twist. Uh, and she does say, I know it's not real, but it feels as if it is. Okay. And, and, and then you and, might say, yes, but you are not your feelings. Yeah, been there. <laughs> okay. Now, that's a little bit uh, um, abstract. But if you can get her to, to the point of waking up to that, 
that she is in fact not the feelings, even though the feelings themselves based in delusion, that her delusion is real. I mean, that's what makes it real is she feels like it's real. Mm, yeah. Okay. It's a delusional in, state, right. Yeah, it's a delusional state that has its own feeling world system built right into it. And those and those and those feelings, there is a reality in that because there's a there's a psychophysical response. So you, you might have butterflies in your stomach. That that is present, that is now, that is sati. Mm -hmm. And we did it to ourselves. That's the part that people don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That we use causes and conditions of the moment, like being on stage all by myself at the age of five with a spotlight on me, and I don't remember what to say. <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we are all like that. That's an important thing for her to understand that you can help her with, that she's not special, that you do that too. Oh, I do, yeah. You do it too, and that you've been able to come out of it, and she can too. Yeah. And then, in fact, the two of you can work and help each other to come out of that. I actually think we are, but, uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. so... Yes, in fact, that's the whole of the Dhamma is friendship. So now you've got a Dhamma friend. I have. I absolutely have. Okay, so congratulations for getting her this far. So the next thing that she, you can talk to her about is disassociation from this feeling in the sense of when she's in that feeling and feels that feeling and the associated concept that goes with it is all real until she wakes up to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I see what's going on. And when she begins to actually see that feeling, she'll recognize that she is not that feeling, she's now the one who can see the feeling. When we're in the feeling, we are it. And it, and it feels overwhelming, why? Because we are overwhelmed. Yeah. But when we stop being overwhelmed and say, aha, I see you feeling. Yeah. Aha, uh -huh, I a, see you. It's a, se you, it's a You're putting a space in there. There's a separation. I'm not the feeling. It's the feeling. It's the feeling. And by separating ourselves from it, that means that now we can see it and pretty soon take control over it rather than yeah. being... Uh, sacrificed to it like we have been doing over and over again. That yeah. We're going to do something new. And yeah. so that's the sati that she needs is to wake up to see that she is not those feelings. And it's easier for to her to do that intellectually just as you tell her about it and then to sit in with you with meditation so that she begins because that's the other side of that is to get her to start breathing. Yeah. And one of the ways to do that is by getting her close to you, physically, I mean, whatever at the house is, uh, and breathe loud enough for her to hear you. Maybe not 100% uh, conscious of it, 
but at least subconsciously enough to get into tune with your breathing, called sympathetic vibration. I was doing that last night with her. Pardon? I was doing exactly that with her last night. So I wasn't really saying anything, but she was sitting on my lap, and I was just controlling my breathing. Well, now that was the first Breathe. image I had was her being in your lap. So that's where I picked that up. Yeah. So somehow or another, I saw that. <laughs> Spooky lot, action. You know? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it happens a lot. Okay, so here you are breathing, teaching her to breathe while not paying that big a strong attention to it but letting her know that that's part of the practice is the reason she feels tired is because she's missing something, right? Now, she's not starving to death. She's well-fed, right? Oh, yes. Okay. So, going back to seventh grade uh, science class, in order to start a fire, you need three components. You need the fuel, you need the air or the oxygen, and you need a kindling temperature to get the fire going. Once you've got that, now you've got a fire. Okay? And if she wants to get her fire going on the inside, she's already got enough food. Now all she needs to do is get that oxygen like a bellows. If she starts breathing like a bellows, her fire is going to just burn right up. I mean, it's just that's how physics works. And she's got enough science background to understand, yes, that is a direct correlation. Now, the next point about it is, is that, um, in fact, some of the students are practicing that to get uh, the, the, the body completely energized. I mean, if you continue to breathe deeply and keep doing it, and getting excess oxygen for what the body normally needs, that means that now the whole place is rich. It's almost like throwing a giant smorgasbord to all the employees in the company. And you keep bringing food and bringing food and bringing more food, and finally they stop eating and start throwing it at each other. <clears throat> That's the kind of state that we want the blood to get into is when we completely saturate it with oxygen just by doing this breathing. It's just available. I mean, all the air you need is right in front of you. <laughs> you don't have to buy a thing to get a high. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is something that you can teach her and start to play with, is by getting the body completely energized, down to the point that every cell now feels well-fed and nothing in the body is being starved. Now, the body we, becomes we get... tingly alive, vibrantly alive. Yeah. And that most of the energy that anyone burns is in, this, in, in the brain. And it's especially this supercomputer that we have called the frontal cortex in some cases, or the adult in Burns' case, or uh, the, the, not the mammalian, the, the, the human brain, our yeah. wisdom. Yeah. It's a hog. It sucks energy, it sucks oxygen, it sucks fuel, and it puts out a lot of heat. And we want to be able to let it really do that. That's its job. And so, among other things, if you get your, your daughter to practice this 
over and over and over again. One, maybe one sitting, she'll like it so much. It's like, wow, I've been almost reborn are the kind of thoughts that people have is to really, really get her completely juiced up with, with air. Well, there's two, there's two things, other things that are going on there. She knows quite a lot about breathing, actually. But she mentioned something to me last night that she'd been doing some, well, we're all breathing, but some um, mindful breathing, shall we say, during the day. And she will, she'll, she'll get this anxiety that comes up. Mm-hmm. as a con as a consequence so and then that of course feeds into itself and i know that she gets she has a lot of tension she gets very tight around her diaphragm and it it's not pleasant for her so there's almost there's another side mm-hmm. to it that's almost resistant could, could to the it, breathing could it be then that what you're pointing at is like what happens to a beginner when they go into the gym for the first time. And after pumping just a little bit of iron, now they now everything hurts. Well, this has been a theme for years. I mean, it's this tension and pain through it started on her right side, uh, all down the right side of her body. I mean, she went to see the the um as a physio and all sorts of, about this, and uh, they checked How's out. How's her attitude? The attitude uh, is is that um, see most people when there's pain involved, they're that emperor. They're at the bottom of the pain pile. Can she but, come out? Even though the pain is there, we can't tell tell her how to rid herself of the pain, but we can teach her how to become champion of it. Which is exactly what we were talking about last time, and and absolutely. So when her, I think when her, um, you know, her energy's good, then that's all doable. But when she's low, then that again, then you she become needs to over, be reminded. Over, over, if you're around, that's when you're needed most. When oh, if you're around yeah. when she's down, that's when you're needed most. Oh, I I know it. I'm I'm really trying. But I, I'm just trying to make sure that I'm on the right direction, in the going in the right direction, and I don't want to be um, saying too much that's contrary to the other advice she's getting. And I'm and I'm concerned. I'm I'm a bit concerned. In fact, we were speaking why, what, about last why night. Why would what what anybody says? Why would it be contradictory to what we're talking about? I mean, directly contradictory. I don't. Maybe I don't. I don't think it necessarily is, but the one thing that sh- that has struck me, uh, and Olivia and I were discussing it last night, and she agreed, is that as I mentioned initially, she has this sort of hunger for information. The more information I've got, the quicker I'll get better, kind of thing. And she said, she said to me, in a way, with, she's right. In a way, she's right. And she said, she said to me. That if there's someone with, if you put someone in chron- chronic, for, with chronic fatigue in front of me, as in Olivia, uh, I could take them through all the steps of recovery, and where they, where they should be, and this, that, and the other. I know it, but it's all very well sitting on this power, power of information. You actually have to 
use it and apply it and that's the sticking point and you there's a, there's a point at which you have enough information and you're just going to mm -hmm. get on and do the job and it strikes right. strikes me that you you probably want to be simplifying the whole thing let's just get down to basics let's um, have some sati going let's have some breathing going and uh and gladden the mind i mean that strikes me I, as it in a nutshell <laughs> yes but if you think about it in this context what she is actually doing is common even today in the Dhamma, in the sense that the guys, um, they learn a little Dhamma, they find out how wonderful it is, so they, they learn some more, and now they're into it. And so now they begin to learn Pali. They really dig into the suttas. Then they become an expert, start publishing on Reddit, <laughs> and yeah. nobody believes them. <laughs> and we just go off into this uh nosedive into being an informationalist or a scholar in buddhism yeah as opposed to actually doing what the buddha was teaching to do they're experts at, at how to do it they know every line just like your daughter is saying she knows exactly what to say but she's not doing the, the uh the exercises when she needs them uh, most because she's really not getting a good handle on it uh, to do it correctly when she doesn't need the Dhamma so much. In other words, it's better to practice when, when it's easy. Yes. yes. A clear example of that is lion cubs. All of the things that grown lions have to do to run a pride and, and fend off competition and take down gazelles and all of that kind of stuff, everything that that lion learns to do, he learned it in play with his brother, another cub. Yeah. How to tackle, wrestle, throw, all of that kind of stuff, okay? So, uh, in that regard, that's exactly what happened to us as kids, except that the wrestling that we were doing with the mind wasn't what we may need to have been doing, but it was the way that we were expected to do it. We were trained that way through our uh, influence of the parents and the society and all of that kind of stuff, thinking that we have to become civilized. And, and perfectionists and... Uh, and all of that. And, so part of what your daughter yeah. is suffering from is becoming civilized. Yeah. And so part of the rebellion of that is to let her have the idea that it's okay for her to be wild a little bit, practice it, enjoy it, become joyful at it. Okay, so that's the, uh, another aspect of it that I would like to point to you, is to give her permission to have a, a whole lot more freedom than she's giving herself right now. She's stuck in a box, almost an either or box. And that is either I suffer with it or I study it. And she has not yet had permission to learn to play with it. That's a lot. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Yes. And, that, and that's so much past the process with this, isn't it? Because in 
ordinary education were giving this very sort of prescriptive um, uh, information. This mm -hmm. is right. This is wrong. Uh, do as teacher says. Blah, 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 blah. Whereas. Oh, seemed... you've been to British school, huh? <laughs> Boyd knows all about you. <laughs> and if you don't, it's going to hurt. <laughs> Another brick in the wall, huh? <laughs> Great song. Um, uh, whereas actually, it seems the process of learning to meditate, for example, is well we're given some guides guidelines and mm -hmm. then you've got to learn to play with this piece of kit up here and find out we're all different what actually what specifics work for you you know it's it it it, it does seem to work that that way would you go along with that yes i would say it goes so far as this that the dharma from the top down of Dukkha Dukkha Naroda, all the way down specifically through Paticca Samuppada, which we haven't spent much time with yet, uh, is down at the bottom of the second noble truth. What is the cause of suffering? Because yes. the Paticca Samuppada starts in ignorance, goes right through the middle of it all as feelings, winding up in suffering. And those yeah. are all the components of the second noble truth. Second noble truth is ignorance and the feelings um, cause the suffering. And so suffering winds up being the end of the path. But here is more detailed to the point that we can see that there are certain points that if we go in and nudge it or interrupt it at a certain point, we can begin to change it. Mm. But we've got to be sharp enough to catch it at the right point. And so that's when the, uh, the, the skill of sati comes up. But basically, that's what we're doing when we say, uh-huh, I see you, Myra. It's like, how far has the Myra gotten here? If we, if we can catch the Myra as it arises, then we can yes. deal with it. Easy. Piece of toast. Absolutely. And this is quickening like, the mind. Mm-hmm. To, to, to make it sharper and sharper, yeah. which means it's, it's faster and faster. The sati comes back quicker, that we wake yes. up sooner. But, I, but um, I mean, I, I've always I've been always quite a slow thinker. I don't mean I'm stupid. That's not what I'm saying. But I consider things I've not got, you know, I'm not going to. Uh, some people are so fast and they're thinking it's unbelievable. And my daughter's the same, you know, she, she'll, she'll grapple with some very complex um, concepts, et cetera, et cetera, no problem at all. But it just takes a time, you know, she has to, to assimilate it, think about things and this, that and the other. And it's a different sort of thinking we're talking about here. It's on, it's on the spot. It's, it's, it's um, more animal, if you like. In a way, yes. But basically, um, instead of just thinking in concepts, we now are thinking to see the concept making. Yes. 
or the feeling. Like if she's stuck in a really bad feeling, thought, feeling duo, that if she wakes up to that and says, wait a minute, I can see that stuff as it is. Before, when I was asleep, it had me. I was in it. Yeah. I was in personality. That's self. Okay. Yeah. But when we have sati and we wake up, that means that we come out of that self. We disassociate from it. Yeah. And that's what she needs to, first off, understand that intellectually so that she gets it, that she really is not uh, being completely managed and controlled by the feelings, that that only happens when she's asleep mentally. But that yeah. when she wakes up, she can begin to see that she is not that feeling. If but she can have, climb out of that pile of dirt and be on top of it. And we associate those feelings, even if they're negative, with being me. And mm -hmm. therefore, to disassociate from them would be to feel wrong. Because although this may feel more pleasant, it doesn't feel like me. And therefore, that might well be scary. Right. Would you go along Until with that? I would go along with that only a little short distance, maybe a couple of baby steps. And after that, time to wakey-wakey to yeah, recognize yeah. that, yes, yeah. um, uh, that that loss of self is actually going to be liberating, yeah. not tiresome, okay? That, that you're not letting go of something that's precious, You've only thought that it was precious for a long time. That in fact, we have the delusion that it's precious coming right out of that self-preservation instinct that every one of us has at the bottom line a little subroutine that keeps us alive. And how it does that is by secreting the fluids that cause fear. And when we become afraid, that means that we stop doing what we were about to do. Now, in modern society, we don't need that so much anymore. That in the time of uh, wolves and bears and, um, you know, wild panthers on, uh, in the tent, and we didn't even have a tent kind of lifestyle, there was good reason for this fear to keep us alive. We needed it. But now we've been intellectually successful enough to build a civilization so that fear is no longer a component that keeps us alive. And now mostly fear kills us. That in yeah. modern society, uh, who was it, FDR or Churchill, one or the other of them said that there's nothing to fear but fear itself, which is exactly what we just said, okay? Let's, yeah. let's no longer be driven by or controlled by our fear. And generally, that's at the bottom of whatever your daughter would call that fear. You could ask her questions that will take her down to well, whatever I was calling it. I can see that that feeling is actually another way or another understanding that deeper than that is actually fear. And that fear is the fear of survival. Yeah. Fear of death down to the very bottom of the well. That's it is fear of death. And that's Same. what's driving her. And so by understanding, number one, that she is not that fear, that it is merely a psychophysical component of the human being, it's almost like an appendix. It's a relic of the past. 
And while we need it maybe once a month, it's active 30 times a day. So if, someone, if, if someone's in an anxious state, which is another way of saying they're fearful, um, if you question most people, I don't think they would say I'm fit, I am anxious about dying right now. But I think what you're saying is, is that, no, at the root of it, Mm-hmm. It is a fear of dying. Is, is that right? Yes, precisely. Uh, and there are several ways of, of looking at it. One is that when they're when they're not willing to admit that, that means that they're in denial or that they're ignorant. That that's part of the waking up process is to recognize that, hey, these instinctual feelings that, that are there do not have to control the situation. Yeah. That's one of the things to wake up to. All right. And by doing that, that means basically there's a disassociation because in the old way of thinking, those feelings, when they arose, they run the show. But when they're, when they're not so strong, when they're kind of leaking rather than a, a, a wild fire hose, when it's just merely leaking, Yes. Then, then it affects other things that so bring a, up anxiety. Yeah, background anxiety is this sort of leaking out from the hose is, is I think, what you're getting at. Isn't exactly. It? It's just uh-huh. And you stop, you don't even necessarily notice it, but you're just on edge. And... But when we do notice it, or when it does come strong enough to notice or when we begin to pay attention to it again, then we think, oh, it must be something that needs to be done. And so now we'll start making plans. First, we got to rummage around in the past to see what's wrong. We come up with a bright and shiny toy that needs some polish. And then we start having a plan about how to get this toy polished, thinking that if it's completely polished well, the anxiety will go away. Here's an example of that. I like this one. The old dude was in his hovel way back in ancient times. And he's laying there with his little fire and whatnot. And he starts to have an anxiety attack or he feels anxiety. And so he starts to think, what's wrong? What, 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 what? Why do I feel this way? And so he, he's got the idea. So he goes out. And he gathers stones together to rebuild his wall so that the goats don't get out and the wolves don't get in. And he spends quite a lot of time rebuilding that wall. And I'm glad that job's done. He goes back into his hovel. He lays back down. And guess what? The anxiety comes right back again. (laughs) Now, why is that happening? Well, maybe even while he was outside doing the job. His anxiety was all there all along. He just wasn't paying attention to it. And he was was distracted by the job. He was distracted by the job. But when he lays back down and he he begins to realize that, oh, there there it is, it didn't go away. All right. So if we're like that, then the way that we would practice this with the Buddha is instead of trying to figure out what I can do on the A, on the outside, in order to get what I want on the inside, Let's work with the inside directly. This is what is meant by ekamaga, or the, the direct path of the Buddha. Ekamaga. Mm-hmm. 
that's uh, uh, one of those controversial uh, points in the beginning of the Satipatthana Sutta, mm-hmm. that the Buddha has, this is the direct path. Or this is, and some say it's a one-way path, but it doesn't mean anything uh, in, that, in that regard. So that does have a quality to it, because in fact, I was just talking to a friend that if a monk will stay a monk and stay in the, in the, um, the Watt, for 20 years and is around all of these other monks all of that time, then he will get steeped with the Dhamma, whether he even tries to put any time into it or even if he's intellectually resistant to it, it's going to get in anyway and it's going to make a really nice dude out of him. (laughs) He doesn't have much choice if he's in that environment. Uh, So there's a kind of a CPN quality that is there, just being in it, being in it, and it seeps in. And so we can create that environment for ourselves to keep steeping ourselves in the real knowledge and that it has that kind of effect upon us. Uh, So really just practicing sati over and over again is a major uh, aspect of this seeping in quality, that things happen at a very, very deep level. Uh, uh, and they can manifest themselves in the sense that things that used to bother me don't bother me anymore. Okay? Basically, it would be that, uh, wow, that really bothers me. But I'll deny it, that it bothers me. And then I'll, I'll, it bothers me, and I'll, I'll begin to recognize, yeah, that thing really bothers me. And so, uh, then we get, oh, it's bothering me, but I don't have to get bothered. I'm, I'm going to unbother myself now. I'm going to untether the rope. The next time that that bother comes by, I can say, or eventually it's, oh, I used to get bothered by that, and I don't get bothered by that anymore. And then nice. later it comes to, oh, what is that? Because we've even forgotten about that we used to get bothered by it. Now it's just yeah. part of the furniture. Yeah. And we just let it completely go. So I guess that's the final stage of letting it. And one of those things that we can do with that little sequence of events is like anger. But a more important one right now is for your daughter is to come out of that state that she's in. But it's very, very similar to this process that I just gave you about just being bothered. But now we can see about anger. That after I recognize that I've spoken a couple of three angry words, I'll, re- I'll recognize I'm angry. And so I'll stop and I'll shut up. And I won't open my mouth again until all of those feelings are out. So I'll take a few deep breaths, count to 10, uh, think about how marvelous that person is that I'm angry at and all of that kind of stuff works. Next time, though, when this thing happens, I'll be to the point of saying, oh, one, you know, just, oh, and then I stop. I can catch the anger just as the first time it pops out. And now, close the mouth, go again. And now the next time it comes by, it's like, but no, ah, we didn't let it out. And then the next time is, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so as process goes by, then we get to get to the point that, oh yeah, 
not anything at all. Um, and possibly an example of that would be like a kid. We get angry at kids when they have a tantrum. It's just natural. Every mom wants to smack any kid who's having a tantrum, no matter where he is. And many of them at least demonstrate that they want that by, you know, raising their hand. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You better shut up or I'm going to hit you. In other words, I don't care how bad you want whatever you want. I'm going to add a whole new layer of fear on top of all of those bad feelings. And now see what you do. <laughs> Generally, it's even a louder. <laughs> so, Sorry. So a better way of handling that is for mom to take a really deep breath. And then she can bend down to little Billy and say, Billy, it looks like you're having a tantrum. What is it you want so bad? And start engaging him instead of threatening him. Yeah. Or we can say, wait a minute, Billy, I think you're about to smile at me. I think I see a little smile. There it is. I see it. <laughs> <laughs> and so we can tease children only when we're already in the light space. So that's another way of you recognizing it is just because your daughter is in a bad way doesn't mean that you've got to be in a bad way, too. Don't take her sympathetic no. vibration whole. You yeah, create your I, own I, sympathetic vibrations of being joyful. I've been recognizing that for it's so important. You can't help somebody if you're engaged in their Merck and Maya. Um, yeah. That's or been really sympathetic helpful. with them, even being. Oh, oh. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, you poor dear means yeah. it's okay with me that you're stuck in your crap. <laughs> well, also, it's it's sort of you're somehow <laughs> taking on the responsibility for it as well. Yes. No, this, this 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 is your stuff. I c you have to sort it. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in an unkind way at all, but, but that's, that's the reality. That's the reality of the situation. And that's the whole point of the second noble truth. That's the clear definition of the second noble truth in the sense of moha loba dosa. Yeah. The three things that lead to tanha is greed, ill will, and ignorance. So is it the tree's ignorance? Is it the dog's ill will? No, no, here, <laughs> this is it. What's the cause of suffering? Here, this is it. That's taking on a deeper responsibility than most people are willing to under, or to bear. Is that each one of us is completely 100% responsible for our own pile of dirt. Yeah. No matter how bad a mess we made of it, Nobody's going to help us fix it. And so that's something that you can help your daughter understand, too. That's a hard lesson to learn. And and the other thing is, it's not how bad a mess we've made in it of it. When we when when you were a small child having a tantrum and your mum beat you, <laughs> that that wasn't a little child's responsibility at that point. Exactly. But the child would have been extremely traumatized by that, and it would carry on. It would send shockwaves through that individual's life. 
But at some point, you've got to say, well, okay, my mum did that to me, but no, it's my responsibility now. I have to deal with it. Just blaming my mum forever in a day isn't going to help the situation, whatever that abuse was. You are so right on that. Uh, There is, in psychotherapy, they have a, um, a thing or a system that they or sometimes refer to it as psychological archaeology, where the therapist and the client will dig deep into the past of the client, thinking that there's something valuable in there. Sort of like, <laughs> sort of like the joke. The, um, the mother had a child that was, uh, they were twins. One of them was just so well-behaved, and he was quite an optimist, and the other one was quite a brat. And so she took them to the psychiatrist, uh, which happened to have been in December. And so the psychiatrist says, well, I tell you what we're going to do. Our first thing is on Christmas, you give the child who is an optimist a big uh, barrel, a 55-gallon oil barrel, one of the big dudes, full of horse manure. And then all the toys that you were going to buy him, plus all the other toys, you give them to the other son. And so on Christmas morning, mom and pop go in there and first they open the door to the to the little brat. And here's there banging all the toys and saying, screaming, I didn't get what I wanted, even though they worked really hard to give him what he wanted. And so they say, oh, I don't know. And so they close the door, they go to the open door. And here's this other kid. He's standing in this barrel, throwing horse shit all over his room and saying, whoopee, whoopee. And they're saying, what are you doing? And he says, with all of this horse shit, there's got to be a pony in here someplace. (laughs) (laughs) And that is magical thinking. That we do. We think that just because the place is full of horse shit, there's got to be a pony in here. And that's part of the reason why people cling to those feelings like your daughter is doing. She's clinging to those feelings, thinking that there's some value in it or that the the um, the, the therapist and the, uh, the client will do this archaeology, thinking that there's going to be a pony in all of that old horse shit. And so one of the examples of that is this guy and the psychotherapist, they figured out that when he was four years old, his mom gave him a spanking. And they both concluded that that's why he's a total asshole. But they didn't dig deep enough because if they had dug just a little bit deeper, they would have found out the reason his mommy gave him that spanking because at four years old, he was an asshole. Again, back to personal responsibility, you see. uh, But with, um, and I used to see this in myself, but again, Olivia and I were talking about this last night. When she gets into these very negative states, it's almost as if she feels she deserves it. It's like a kind of Mm self-punishment. I've failed again. I've fallen into the same trap again i deserve to feel like this sort of script going on and uh and i i must take my punishment sort of thing 
The answer is you've already punished yourself enough and you're just in the habit of it. Yeah. So wake up to that. To wake up to the fact that you are punishing yourself, that you're looking for. If you punish yourself enough, then you will be free from this affliction that you got to pay for it. And once you do, then you'll get the pony. Yeah. There is no pony in that suffering. And she has to understand there is no pony in that suffering that she's doing. And, uh, and in fact, this is directly related to what the Buddha ran across in his time. And we still see this very strongly. One place they see is in the Philippines where on certain times a year, guys will actually get nailed to a cross. Oh, yeah. I've, I've, I've okay. heard about literally there, nailed to a cross. Yeah, there is a lot of guys who do this in all kinds of India, but one guy is really good at it because he's got this huge scar that he knows how to take this special big, big fish hook doesn't have a little jaggy at the end of it to keep the book registered. So when he wants to pull it out, it comes out easily enough. But he sticks his fish hook in, ties it to a rope, put the rope at the end um, on, a, on a limb, suspends himself from that limb. And there he's bouncing back and forth, being suspended by these two ribs that are on this fish hook. Now, that's the best spectacular. I've seen actually videos of this guy and he's laughing and bouncing. <laughs> but that's not, that's not what we want out of the Dhamma. But imagine all of the pain that he had to go through to teach himself how to do that that was so unnecessary. He didn't need to do that, all of that kind of stuff. Now he's relishing in the benefit of having gotten over that kind of pain, and maybe even the ribs don't hurt anymore. It's self-flagellation, isn't it? But it's exactly self-flagellation. And boy, was India good at it, but they're not the only ones. The Iranians will have parades of self-flagellation. And don't they do it in, uh, is it Indonesia they do it as well? Yeah. I in a lot of different Muslim yeah, countries, yeah. they have self-flagellation. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is basically the same thing as Della Rosa, uh, uh, where some Jesus dude will carry a cross once a year and, yeah. and do the, the, um, uh, uh, the crucifixion um Passion play, that's what they call it. Mm. Uh, so a lot of uh, self-flagellation have to do with passion plays, but not always. And so one of the things that the Buddha was doing was starving himself to death. Yeah. He got very, very thin, and he recognized that that's not the path. And so he started eating, fattened himself up, uh, I hear on milk and uh, uh, rice, rice milk given to him by a goat herd girl. And so his buddies who were around him at that time got disgusted. They, didn't, they weren't disgusted when he arrived in, in uh, uh, the deer park where they were. They became disgusted when he was getting fat right there on the spot and left him. And after he figured it out, well, the important point of, of what he figured out can be said in that one little phrase. And that is, aha, I see you, Mara. And that's the point that your daughter has to come to, is say, aha, I can see you, so that I don't have to keep flagellating myself, because there's no benefit in it. You see, the flagellators, they thought that there was benefit in the flagellation. They thought that they were burning off old bad karma. 
so that they could not create any new uh, karma uh, by not <coughs> killing bugs and whatnot, uh, walking with a strainer on their face and sweeping the path and other things the Jains did. But yeah. also there's this um, self-flagellation component, which has the idea of burning off old bad karma. And so there's a sutra where the Buddha is talking to these guys and then comes back and relays the message to the monks. So it got written down. Um, but that he was asking them, well, how do you know you've done something wrong in the past? In other words, you're beating yourself to relieve yourself of the uh, results of your bad actions. How do you know that you were behaving badly in the past? Or worse than that, how do you even know you were in the past? Do you know for sure? Is well, everybody's... We're talking about a previous life now, yes? In this regard, yes, because that's part of the, uh, the chain of the Mahavir story about the past lives and, and all of that. And, and they all said, well, we can't, but our teacher can. <laughs> but then the Buddha confronted them, well, how do you know the teacher can see anything? And that's when they started scratching their chin about it. Here we are doing all this self-flagellation because this teacher, by the way, his name at that time was Nata Nataputa. Yes. Uh, and that some think that he's the same guy as the Tatankara uh, Mahavira that we know of today. The Jains have this guy named Mahavira and that the Naga, uh, Nata Nataputa in the Buddhist Sutta seemed to be the same guy who was teaching this stuff at that time. Mm -hmm. So this is a point for your daughter to really kind of understand, and that is she does not have to pay for anything. She yeah. does not have to pay. There, and not only that, but all of that paying that she does do is like a bucket of horseshit, and there's no pony in there at the end of all of that suffering for herself. When she understands that, then she'll be willing to come out of it. Aha, yes, right. It's uh, There is no pony at the end of all of this. There's no reason for me. You know, I'm not going to feel better if I feel bad enough long enough. Yeah. That just it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Never mind. Start again. Back exactly. to the present moment. Exactly so. Back to the present moment. This is all there is. And she doesn't have to do that to herself. But she needs to be reminded. Yeah. She needs to be helped with that, to yeah. tease her with it. A very strong habit. And and how would you, um, what would you describe as being the difference between stepping out of the way of a, a, a thought, the truck coming down the road? Precisely. And what, what's the difference between stepping out of the way of it and suppressing it? Okay. The suppressing it would be like um, of the example I used would be Popeye would be out in the road trying to stop it. Yeah. Which would be the suppression or the putting down of it, which is also uh, partly uh, to get rid of it because we hate it. Yeah. All right. And a lot of students 
it some of it comes from um zen and and a mis, kind of a misunderstanding of zen about the empty mind or a mind that is thoughtless there is no one who can live a life that where their mind is thoughtless that in fact they couldn't go to work they couldn't go to uh drive a car they might in fact get picked up and put into a hospital they think that he's comatose he just he not only can't talk he can't think I mean, how how out of it is that? And so this is not a state that we want to be in. Rather, this empty mind is the concept that the mind is free from the hindrances and therefore free to think the kinds of thoughts that are wholesome, valuable, useful. So you've got a kind of a double job. One is for you, when your daughter is in her worst of it, for you to be in your best of it so that then you can help her with her best. Yeah. And you can. This, this, this is well known to work. That that's part of the reason for a good teacher. Is to keep reminding the student. Well, I'm trying. I'm, yeah. I, uh, we're getting somewhere. Joyful. Joyfully. And, and, and this... This conversation right now is just giving me more confidence and uh, that I'm on the right path because what we, I really don't want to do is uh, cause more problems. Precisely. That's another reason why maybe you, you might, uh, actually you don't even have to talk to the organization, but you can ask your daughter about how is this contradictory, not just different. Difference, okay, that's not an issue. But is this contradictory to what she's getting from the clinic so that we can come to some resolution so that she doesn't feel confused over am I going to do what Pop says or am I going to do what the doc says? I I think there's been a bit of a conflict over this. um, That's why I asked the question about what is the difference between suppressing a thought or a feeling and stepping out of the way of it. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't want to be a Popeye. Okay, so no. let's go ahead and continue with that. We do not want to stop or to stop the mind or to prevent the mind. But rather when the when a bad thought comes by, we just let it go. Just pass on by. And in fact, the new thought now is, aha, I saw that truck pass. So before it was coming, and now it's going. Uh-huh, I see you, Myra, is almost like waving it goodbye after it's already passed by. And then you give yourself a big treat, take a big breath and gladden the mind. And gladden the mind, uh-huh, and that that's the job well done. Yeah. That's, that's... the job that's well done. Is big smile to be on your face. Clear, to Satisfied. With a job well done. And so we congratulate ourselves for a job well done. Yeah. Because, in fact, this is for your daughter would be quite congratulatory for her and probably will be the first time that she actually sees herself being able to pull herself out of it and come back to a joyful state merely with the thought and the uh, decision to do so. No matter how deep a state of doom you're in 
you can come right back out of it. All we have to do is out you go. And I'm taking yeah. a deep breath and I'm going to be satisfied instead. Now, it may rush back in, but I can do it again. I can throw it right back out. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing she finds difficult is that because she has this fatigue, it, it does become exhausting. You know, you're constantly She's not breathing enough. She's not breathing. If it's exhausting, this should be fun. This should be energizing, mm. not exhausting. Mm. <gasps> I caught you. <laughs> Lots of deep breathing going on as you're catching mm -hmm. so many of them. Exactly. That's what we need to get for your daughter going is she needs to get some air, get some breathing going on. And that this is quite natural. What she's doing is that when we become afraid, we go into a freeze state. Yes. And so she freezes with the feelings that she has. And which I is do... at the bottom line somewhere. It means that she feels like she's in danger somehow. So when you talk about fear, that's the way to approach it. There is a sense of danger. Mm -hmm. And that what our uh, momentary goal is, is to get oneself into a state to where we don't feel like we're in danger. We feel safe and secure and satisfied. Yeah. Yeah. And so you can work on coming out of that. And all it is is just merely a change of attitude. And that takes effort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, oh, what was I going to say? Doesn't matter. I've lost it. Doesn't matter. Um, oh, just just one thing from my own. Uh, perspective is that uh, you know when I meditate in the mornings I um, I've got pretty good at getting into first jhana okay as I, I saw think as, 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 I, as I see it and um, <laughs> you taking the mic <laughs> yeah in the morning, I was doing first jhana. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> and, um, I see that doubt written all over that swinging face. <laughs> well, there's no one that can go in my head and say, yeah, that's it. <laughs> You're just going by descriptions, aren't you? Uh, I was trained to watch people's faces. That a lot of my uh, teaching has to do with what people are doing. That I, that's why I like Skype, because I can see what's what's happening. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's no so I, thought I, I thought I'd mention it. Sometimes people, when they're doing a lot of hand movements with their face or whatever, I'll start to, uh, uh, to mimic. Or to mime. There's so, so <laughs> much. I certainly do that. I just... I'm not aware of. And, uh, it's, quite, it's quite embarrassing, really. But there we go. <laughs> now that you know that I'm looking. <laughs> so, well, that um, allows to give that allows to give a more personal answer to people, of checking to see are they listening closely, hmm. or are they are they going somewhere else. And so I, I, I began to watch what people are doing. It's a very useful tool. 
And where did you learn that? Uh, when I was in training as a psychotherapist back in the 1970s at uh, Huron Valley Institute uh, associated with the University of Michigan. I wasn't actually a Min University of Michigan student. I was kind of a private guy. I eventually got into the Ph.D. program with with it. Uh, but uh, anyway, that's where I, the the skill of observation mm -hmm. of learning to watch what people are doing. I was sitting rigid there. <laughs> I'm not moving. <laughs> <laughs> but it is an interesting. Um, point I think we talk about these states and uh, there is no one that can go directly in your mind as a mechanic can go and look directly inside the workings of an engine and say oh yes that's what's wrong or that's what's right at least not in this decade and maybe not in this century well I suppose it can with scanners now but yeah not yet so far. Everybody's still got a private world that they have to uh, live in. Mm. Mm. But they're getting more, they're getting really interesting information about how the, how the brain works. In the beginning, all, was, all they had to go by was um, basically when the brain has a certain kind of injury, what is the result of the behavior of the person? Yeah. And so that was the beginning or the foundation of it all. But now they've gotten quite a lot of sophisticated instruments so that you can actually walk around with kind of a skull cap. And that's all it's got. Maybe they can even put hair on that skull cap, but it's got a little um, um, uh, Bluetooth connection to it. Mm -hmm. And so they just connect it directly to the computer and they can watch all kinds of stuff, but they only get the ability to do that on the surface. They haven't really gotten deep in yet. So they still is primitive in that way. But so much data they have been able to collect and understand. Um, part of it has to do with uh, uh, temperature, slight temperature changes all throughout the various parts of the brain indicate what's being active. Another one is with uh, uh, electromagnetic uh, stuff to be able to see the uh, electrical activities by picking up picking it up uh, with uh, little tiny coils of wire that are then uh, uh, amplified and then sent to the computer through the Bluetooth. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's gotten quite sophisticated uh, to, to, to do this. I forgot the name of it. This is beyond functional magnetic imagery. This is like the next step beyond that. Okay. Uh, but it's still, uh, they don't quite have the ability to make all of those tiny little brain slices that they, that they do when they've got a real big piece of equipment with really, really huge magnets. Uh, yeah, but I'm not a, MRI scanners. Right, the they? MRI scanners. But that has uh, a lot of disadvantages in the sense that it takes a while for it to scan the brain. And while that m machine is scanning the brain, the, the brain is going back and forth all over the place. I mean, they're doing this and all you're getting is just kind of a cross section, <laughs> which is the same thing with blood pressure. They found that when they have good accurate gauges for blood pressure, that it will change within a heartbeat quite a lot. 
Mm. So the up of this heartbeat and the up of the next heartbeat, the blood pressure is going to be different. And that that equipment that's 100 and something years old, this bagmometer, only gets kind of an average and misses out on almost all the real data that's really interesting. That's like why it should take it several times. Well, yeah, but I'm talking about it in the sense that when you, uh, an example I saw on a TED talk, they put this uh, um, measure on this guy, set him down, made him feel very comfortable watching his blood pressure drop, and then put him on the spot just to watch the blood pressure mount right in front of the audience <laughs> and learn to play with it. That the blood pressure can be, can be played around with, depending on uh, your ability to put people under stress or that they put themselves under stress. That in fact, if somebody's worried about their blood pressure, guess what, it's gonna go up. <laughs> You're worrying about it, you don't think about it. it go <laughs> I, so Tam is home. Anyway, uh, let's finish this. I think that we've, we've gotten quite a lot for you to uh, work with your daughter. Um, it's really helpful. Really helpful. And we'll talk about first jhana, et cetera, next time, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is great. Thank you again okay. for all your time and knowledge. See you all next right. time. See Have you. a good day. All right. Bye -bye. I you can count on it. I will. <laughs> good man. Bye bye. <laughs>